Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of a fatal accident. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Lawrence smiled across the restaurant table at Margo as their roasted bronzino and heirloom carrots arrived. The flames from the wood-paneled fireplace cast an amber glow on Margo's face, making her look more beautiful than ever. It had taken forever to get a reservation, but they were finally dining at the most romantic eatery in the city. And now, looking at Margot, Lauren knew it was all worth it. It was the only place she could imagine popping the question. She and Margot had never discussed marriage, but Lauren hoped Margot felt the same way that she did. But still, she didn't know. Knowing was important to Lauren. She rarely did anything without researching it extensively. But this time, she was relying on her gut, and it was making her insanely nervous, because once she did know, it could make or break everything. She put a hand in her pocket to touch the soft velvet ring box and took a deep breath. Just as she opened her mouth, the table shook violently, tipping over her glass of Merlot. Lawrence scrambled to pick it up, and she and Margot exchanged a confused look. Lauren wondered if one of the table legs had given out. She lifted the white tablecloth and glanced underneath. But instead of a broken table, she found a strange woman. The woman stared back at her with wide eyes, ringed with dark bruises. She wore a black satin evening gown gathered in a heap around her body. But what Lauren noticed first was her head. It was tilted unnaturally toward her left shoulder, and a bony lump strained beneath the skin of her neck. Before Lauren could ask why she was under their table, the woman grabbed her ankle. Her nails dug into Lauren's flesh, drawing blood, as she demanded to know who pushed her. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to one if by land, two if by sea, one of Manhattan's most romantic restaurants, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Coming up, a wronged woman seeks answers, only to wish she hadn't. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. One If By Land, Two If By Sea is not only considered one of the most romantic restaurants in New York City, 
but also the world. Located at 17 Barrow Street in the heart of Manhattan's West Village, the refined eatery lies behind an unassuming brownstone facade. But once you step through the front doors, you enter an atmosphere of timeless elegance. Its walls are cloaked in dark wood paneling and exposed brick, and the space is lit by twinkling candles and ornate chandeliers. The restaurant has been known as a popular setting for anniversary dinners and marriage proposals, but the history behind 17 Barrow Street is far less romantic. Its roots extend back to before the American Revolution. In the late 1700s, the building began life innocently enough as a carriage house for politician and former vice president Aaron Burr. But that came to an end, however, in the early 1800s, specifically in 1804, when Aaron Burr famously shot and killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Though Burr was never tried for Hamilton's murder, the scandal tore his life apart. He lost many of his various properties, including his carriage house, and a short time later, 17 Barrow Street was acquired by the city and served as a firehouse, among other government functions. But it didn't remain in public hands for long. Eventually, the property passed back to a private owner and became a house of ill repute. It's said that the 17 Barrow Street brothel was one of the most covert bordellos in the city, a place where clients could expect a certain level of discretion. Because with some things, knowledge isn't always an asset. It can tarnish reputations and ruin lives. And sometimes, it can even end them. Alice paced nervously in the cobblestone as she watched the entrance of 17 Barrow Street. Suddenly, the door opened and two men stumbled out. Alice scanned their faces, but neither was her husband, William. She exhaled, a bit relieved. But by the time the men wandered down the street, she still felt a pit in her stomach. Alice pulled a makeup compact from her handbag and checked her reflection. She looked as anxious as she felt. Earlier that night, one of their maids let it slip that William had gone to a brothel on Barrow Street. At first, Alice hadn't believed it. William had told her he'd be out late with his colleague Benjamin to discuss policy changes for his mayoral campaign. But after the maid's confession, Alice checked with Benjamin, and he knew nothing about these plans. She had tried to talk herself out of going to 17 Barrow Street. It would have been easier to pretend she hadn't heard. She could go back to who she was before, the Alice that thought her husband loved her. But now she knew something, and she couldn't rest until she knew it all. Alice smoothed her black satin dress, trying to calm her racing pulse. She should go home. It was late. But she knew she couldn't leave without an answer. She took a deep breath and marched across the street. Alice knocked, though she was prepared to recite some lie in order to get inside. To her surprise, someone opened the door and let her in. No questions asked. The brothel wasn't the seedy, desperate place she had imagined. A fireplace crackled in the foyer, and the rich wood paneling made the room feel like an old ship. The women here were beautiful, like ethereal goddesses with billowing low-cut gowns and hair that hung loose along their necks. They entertained men in sumptuous velvet chairs, swaying as they floated in and out of their grasp. Alice's heart fluttered at the sight. She wasn't expecting them to be so lovely. 
she felt out of place with her high-necked black satin collar and prudish bun. Suddenly, a glass exploded at her feet, and she jumped back. A red-faced man with his wig askew bellowed that he was sorry. The glass had slipped. Alice backed away, trying not to draw attention to herself as she scanned the room for William. She didn't see him on the main floor, but soon her eyes landed on a staircase at the far side of the room. Maybe he was up there. Alice headed for the stairs when a hand grabbed her arm. She turned to face a beautiful woman with flaming red hair. The woman looked older than the others, and her neckline was higher, but she shone brighter than anyone there. She said she knew what Alice was looking for, but she'd be better off going home. Alice pulled away and told her she wasn't going anywhere, not until she knew for sure. The red-headed woman smiled sadly and remarked that men came there to pretend their real lives didn't exist. She said that Alice should think of it the opposite way. When her husband was gone, she could pretend he was doing anything, like meeting with powerful people or courageously helping the poor. But if she confronted her husband, it would shatter the illusion for them both. The woman handed Alice a whiskey tumbler and told her to drink up, then go home. With that, she then strode up the stairs and out of sight. Alice shakily brought the whiskey to her lips and drank. She winced as it burned down her throat and into her gut. The red-headed woman was right. She should leave. Because if she didn't know for certain that William was here, then she could continue to live beside him, convincing herself life was still the same. Tears welled up in Alice's eyes as she watched the other women float about the room. She always thought love was honest, but being there made her realize that love itself was a facade, designed to disguise an uglier truth. But love had also led her there, helplessly torn between seeking knowledge and running from it. Alice made up her mind. She wouldn't be helpless anymore. She strode toward the stairs and hurried up to the mezzanine. Along the wall were a series of closed doors. There was no way to tell which one William was in. She couldn't call out because the red-headed woman might make her leave. Maybe she'd crack open each door. But she stopped cold at the sound of a familiar laugh. It was coming from the first door to her left. She grabbed the handle and flung it open. The door slammed against the wall, causing the people in the bed to startle. A disheveled woman grabbed the sheets and backed away, and a man sat up. William. Alice stared at him, tears cascading down her cheeks. She watched him struggle to yank up his trousers. He was stammering so hard he could barely speak. Alice backed away. She didn't want an explanation. Now she knew. She wandered back along the mezzanine, her mind churning with grief and panic. She could barely hear William's frantic pleading behind her. She passed the red-headed woman and noticed her eyes light up in alarm. But Alice didn't stop. Her black gown billowed behind her as she strode to the stairs. She paused a moment at the top, reflecting on the revelry below. If this place hadn't been the spear through the heart of her marriage, she might have liked to return. Despite its secrecy, there was no pretense here about what the men had come for. Not like William's love, which had tricked her. Before Alice could descend, she felt a pair of hands press hard on her back. 
she tried to turn and see who they belonged to, but she toppled over the edge of the stairs before she could get a look. Her arms waved frantically as she fell, trying to grab something, anything, but there was nothing to stop her fall. She plummeted downwards, step after step, but before she hit the ground, she mused that even though she'd learned one truth, she now had another question. Who pushed her? Some say a woman in a black evening gown haunts one of my land, two of my sea. Restaurant staff have seen her descend the stairs repeatedly, then disappear. There are a few theories about the ghost's identity. Some think she was a patron who broke her neck falling down the stairs. Others believe her to be Aaron Burr's daughter, Theodosia, who vanished tragically at sea while on the way to see her father. But the specter on the stairs is most likely a woman named Elizabeth. A psychic who spent some time at the restaurant allegedly heard a mysterious voice call herself Elizabeth. The voice is said to have told the psychic she was in an accident. Eventually, the finding was corroborated by a group of parapsychologists who recorded a mysterious, ethereal voice that called itself Elizabeth. The theory became even more credible when the restaurant's current owners found a tombstone for a woman named Elizabeth Seaman in the garden courtyard. Whoever the lady on the stairs may be, it's clear that the unresolved accident that took her life has made it very difficult for her to rest. Because there's nothing more excruciating than dying with an unanswered question on your tongue. Coming up, a new server meets the restaurant's oldest regular. Hi listeners, it's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals. Like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story.
In 1910, Barrow Street's House of Ill Repute transitioned from live entertainment to become a silent movie theater. Not long after that, it evolved into the food and drink trade. In the 1970s, one if by land, two if by sea was established. The restaurant named after a line in Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's poem, Paul Revere's Ride, quickly became known as a romantic destination, and a large one at that. The elegant eatery can seat up to 130 guests at a time and is often used as a wedding venue. Inside, the Constitution Room is a more intimate dining room with walls full of windowed wine racks. Meanwhile, the mezzanine, a brick-walled space upstairs above the main dining area, has a grand oak bar and huge windows with views into the restaurant's lush garden. But regardless of how many proposals, weddings, or anniversaries one if by land, two if by sea may host, its oldest and most dedicated patron is still the Lady in Black. It was the height of the dinner hour, and Lucas could barely keep up with the lead server, Sarah, as she strode through the restaurant's main dining room. The space had a low ceiling with dim, recessed lighting. Shiny wood walls glinted in the candlelight. Sarah told him he was lucky to have gotten a gig at the popular romantic eatery. Lucas was certainly grateful for the job, having only arrived in Manhattan a week before with no money and no friends. But he didn't know about the romance thing. He'd left Ohio because a girl broke his heart, and he wasn't exactly eager to work in such a lovey-dovey place. Right now, he kind of thought love was a scam, the kind of scam that could get you to spend an entire paycheck on candlelit dinners. But he didn't dare tell Sarah that. Sarah quickly pointed out how the tables were numbered and which sections were which. Lucas nodded enthusiastically, but was having a hard time hearing over the noise of the customers. Just then, Sarah stopped abruptly, turned, and asked him what number the table to the left of the fireplace was. Lucas felt a warm flush spread across his cheeks. Crap, he had no idea. He wished he could just know everything already and just skip over being the new guy. Sarah strode over to the server station and grabbed a bus tub. She shoved it into his hands and told him to get busing. It'd help him learn the table numbers faster. Lucas hurried over and put the soiled dishes into the tub. He turned to race back to the kitchen, but as he passed a small corner table, he felt a hand grab his arm. He looked down into the eyes of a young woman in a black dress, clutching a pouchy-looking handbag. Her hair was pulled into a tight bun. She asked him if he could help. He looked anxiously around for any sign of Sarah. He didn't want to risk doing something wrong, but he couldn't just spaz on a valued customer. He apologized and said he was new, so he didn't know how much help he'd be. The woman's grip tightened, and she asked if he knew where William was. Lucas frowned. He thought one of the other servers was a Bill, but he couldn't say for sure. But for some reason, Lucas found himself nodding yes to the woman anyway. The woman's face darkened, sending a chill down Lucas's spine. He'd messed up, he could tell. He wondered if he should go grab Sarah, or try to fix it himself, or he didn't know what to do. He was frozen by indecision. The woman's eyes filled with tears as she said, if he knew William, then he'd also know who pushed her. <clears throat> Lucas startled and looked up to see Sarah standing behind him. 
She seemed furious. She wondered sarcastically if he needed a break from all the hard work he was doing. He shook his head, explaining a customer needed some help. But when he turned to the woman in black, she was gone. Lucas stared at the empty seat in shock when Sarah shoved the tub of dishes back into his arms. She told him to never let her catch him taking a break in the dining room again. In fact, she said he should go to the storage room for restocking. Lucas didn't seem ready for a prime time dinner hour. After the second hour of restocking, Lucas was fading. It was after midnight and he still wasn't done. His body was exhausted, his feet ached, and the storage room dust was coating his throat. He was fine doing grunt work, but it felt like he was being punished for that moment with the woman in the dining room. His cheeks burned again at the thought. He didn't know what happened. Either he imagined her, or he scared her off, or he had no idea. He wished again that he could flash forward a month and know how to do everything. If he knew how the place worked or how to get on Sarah's good side, he wouldn't be there in the stupid storage room to begin with. Instead, he'd never felt so unsure of himself. He felt powerless. Lucas shoved a box of napkins onto a shelf, accidentally knocking another container off the end. It hit the ground and exploded, and he soon saw why. The old cardboard box was practically disintegrating. It had been full of dusty photos and newspaper clippings. Lucas hurried to pick it up, worried that he'd damaged something important. But as he gathered the photographs, he saw there were pictures of the restaurant from a really long time ago. One photo was of dozens of women in long dresses, standing outside the entrance, staring soberly at the camera. Lucas put everything back, lingering on a withered newspaper article. The paper was yellow and the writing faded, but he could just make out the headline. Prominent politician's wife perishes in fall. The article had a black and white photo of a woman. She stared at the camera defiantly, her hair pulled up into a tight bun. Lucas froze. It was the same woman from the dining room. A loud roaring startled him and a dim light blinked on in the room's corner. It was an old copier coming to life, spitting out blank sheets of paper. Lucas also noticed its cord hung uselessly at its side. It wasn't plugged in. Something else was making the copier run. The lights in the storage closet suddenly blinked off and his heart nearly stopped. The power was out and he was in a room with a possessed copier. He could stand Sarah's intensity and all the restocking, but this was too much. Lucas rushed to the door, but it was locked. He started to bang on it frantically, yelling for help, but he felt an icy chill brush against his hand, the one that still clutched the newspaper article. A whisper resonated in his ear, asking him if he found out who pushed her. The voice said she thought it was William, but she didn't know. She needed to know. Lucas yelped and backed into a shelving unit. It careened over, spilling product everywhere. Rolls of paper towels pummeled him. Two freezing hands grabbed him on either temple and violently squeezed, like someone was trying to flatten his head. He heard the voice again, yelling this time, demanding to know who pushed her. Lucas screamed that he didn't know. He didn't know anything. 
The storage room door suddenly flew open and the lights turned on. Sarah stood in the doorway, staring at him with a mixture of pity and disgust. She glanced at the shelf that had toppled over and asked him what on earth happened. Lucas couldn't answer. His breath came out in deep, ragged gasps, and his heart beat so fast he could hear it thundering in his ears. Sarah snidely remarked that if he couldn't do a simple thing like restocking, how would he ever handle serving? Lucas nodded and hurried toward the door. She was right. He didn't know what he was doing. There was a lot he didn't know about this place. But now, he didn't think he wanted to find out. Over the years, the staff of One If By Land, Two If By Sea have reported strange brushes with the paranormal. One story involves an employee who encountered a spirit while he was working alone at night, and the copier mysteriously started on its own. He was so shaken up, he allegedly quit the next day. Maybe he feared the lady in black, or maybe it was one of the other spirits that are said to haunt 17 Barrel Street. Staff swear there are many specters that wander between the restaurant's pristinely set tables. A parapsychologist has even claimed that there are upwards of 20 ghosts active in the building, all from different time periods. There's of course the Lady in Black, along with the spirit of what some claim is Aaron Burr himself, a chorus girl, and a man who lingers by the fireplace. Fortunately, most of these ghosts don't appear to be malicious. Instead, visitors and staff have reported harmless oddities, like dishes breaking, personal belongings going missing, and the general unnerving feeling of being watched. But perhaps these witnesses just haven't seen the ghosts angry. Coming up, a restaurant manager finds a perilous answer to a deadly mystery. Now back to the story. One if by land, two if by sea's current general manager, Roseanne Martino, has said that the restaurant certainly is haunted. She's seen picture frames move, flickering lights, and staff members actually shoved by unseen forces. The waiters have even reported serving specters at tables before. Some even light candles for ghosts they see regularly. What might be more unsettling than actually seeing a ghost, however, is never witnessing anything at all, and yet being plagued by the uncanny feeling that there's just something off about the restaurant. You might not be able to glimpse these spirits, but you know they're there. The air is thick with tension, like there's something hiding just out of sight, waiting for its chance to strike. Rachel sat alone in the restaurant office, using her phone's calculator to do the day's takes, again. After a few moments of punching in numbers, it still left her with the same conclusion. Her sales far exceeded her costs, which meant she was killing it. She allowed herself a little squeal of joy. Everyone said that 30 wasn't old enough to run a successful restaurant, but she'd proven them wrong, one receipt at a time but it felt especially sweet because of who'd come before her. Rachel looked at a framed photo on the wall. A bunch of women in long dresses stood in front of the restaurant's brick facade, staring at the camera. The place had been a brothel back in the 1800s, 
At the time, men had owned the building and used those women to line their pockets. But now, Rachel was taking the reins. She had a successful woman-owned business in a place where women historically had little control. Some people say knowledge is power, and Rachel agreed. Knowing the history of this building made her feel like she had all the power of the women who came before her, coursing through her veins. Rachel startled as a folder of papers slipped off a nearby bookshelf and landed onto the floor. She turned around to see the old newspaper clippings and photos scattered everywhere. Rachel had totally forgotten about the folder. They'd found an old box with tons of cool photos and newspaper clippings when they cleaned out the storage room. It was where she'd gotten the photo of the women. But Rachel hadn't had time to sort through everything yet. With all the moving in and reopening, it just gotten shoved into a folder and put on her bookshelf. She walked over to it, wondering what had made it fall. The office window was closed, and the air vents weren't even on. She knelt down to gather up the papers, but paused as she touched an old newspaper clipping. It was barely legible and nearly came apart in her hands. It was an article about an accident that had happened to the place when it was still a brothel. And according to the tiny, faded date on the newspaper clipping, it had happened in the late 1800s. 1800s. Wow. Rachel couldn't believe the paper hadn't totally disintegrated. She tried to make out the words. It seemed like the husband had tripped while chasing his wife and accidentally shoved her down the stairs. Rachel rolled her eyes. An accident indeed. Sounded like the guy was probably sleeping around and wanted to shut his wife up when she caught him in the act. Total scumbag. Rachel kept reading. There was a black and white picture with the article, but it was so faded that she couldn't make out the woman's face. She looked through the other photos and clippings, trying to find out more. Rachel liked to know everything about everything. Plus, maybe she could frame some of these for the dining room. A sudden, loud knocking shook the office door. Rachel jumped to her feet. She should be the only one here. All the staff had gone home. A flurry of worst-case scenarios flashed through her. They were being robbed. A serial killer had been waiting for her to be alone. Or maybe some weirdo had wandered in off the street and was trying to get in. But then, the door went still. Rachel waited, listening, but didn't hear anything else. She leaned over to look through the crack under the door, sure that she'd seen a pair of feet standing on the other side. But there was nothing there. She slowly opened the door to the empty hallway outside her office. It was dark, save for a reddish glow from an exit sign. Rachel stepped into the hall and walked a few feet, scanning the upstairs mezzanine. Then, she froze. She heard footsteps coming around the corner. They were coming toward her. She saw a shadow pass by, and her heart leapt. And finally, a figure stepped into view. It was a woman in a long black gown. She was carrying something in her hands, a purse of some kind. But she was too far away, and it was too dark. Rachel couldn't quite see her face. The woman stood still, and Rachel's heart began to pound. She called out that this was private property, that she'd call the police. But the woman didn't answer. Rachel considered running back to the office where she'd left her phone, but she couldn't tear her eyes away from the woman. 
Why was she just standing there? Then the woman suddenly turned and disappeared around the corner. Rachel's stomach twisted. She couldn't let some weird lady wander around the restaurant. What if she started breaking stuff or stealing dishes or whatever? Rachel had worked her butt off to make this place successful, and she wasn't about to let a stranger have the run of it while she hid in her office. Rachel hurried around the corner, watching the woman stroll through the upstairs dining room and halt at the top of the stairs. She slowly turned to look back at Rachel, and then she raised her arms and fell down the stairs and out of sight. Rachel screamed and ran to the bottom of the staircase. She stared at the chestnut wooden steps, expecting to see a crumpled figure lying there. But there was nothing. Rachel's heart pounded in her ears. What was happening? She ran to the top of the stairs, but still nothing. She looked over the rail into the dining room, but the woman wasn't there either. Rachel stood there for a long time, wondering if it had all been in her head. Maybe the exhaustion from her endless hours at the restaurant was getting to her. Just then, she heard a light gasp in her ear. Rachel tensed, her heart pounding, and turned. The woman's face was just inches from her own. And now, Rachel had a terrifyingly clear look at her. The woman's eyes were wide, and her mouth was locked open in a silent scream. Her head was tilted all the way to her side, and Rachel could see fractured, pointed bones straining under the skin of her neck. The woman grabbed Rachel's wrists, her skin icy to the touch. Rachel winced and tried to pull away, but the woman tightened her grip. She spoke in fierce whispers, demanding to know who pushed her. Rachel felt terror cascade through her body. Somehow she knew this was the woman from the article, and Rachel had the knowledge she was seeking. But she was too scared to let it out. Rachel backed away and felt her heels slip on the edge of the stairwell. She screamed as she fell backwards, but the woman grabbed Rachel's wrist, suspending her over the top of the stairs. Her voice sent goosebumps down Rachel's spine as she repeated her question. Who pushed her? Rachel stammered that it was her husband. The authorities had determined it. The woman's eyes grew wide and her jaw fell open. She whispered to Rachel that she guessed she already knew that. And then she let go. Rachel felt herself toppling backwards. Her chest tightened in panic as her hands reached for something to save her. But her arms just flailed uselessly in the air. A sharp pain shot through her shoulder as she plowed into a step. Rachel felt her body smash and crack with blinding agony as she careened from step to step. Finally, she hit the bottom of the staircase, delirious and rattled, but still awake. The electric pain had given way to numbness, and she couldn't move. The darkness of the restaurant grew thicker around her, and she vaguely wondered if things would have been different if she hadn't been so curious about that article. Maybe she should have stuck to cuisine choices rather than trying to infuse history into this place. Because seeking that knowledge had just killed her.
17 Barrow Street has had a multitude of lives. A carriage house, a storage facility for fire trucks, a brothel, a bar, and finally a restaurant. In 1970, the building was purchased by the owners who run one if by land, two if by sea. To them, its history is what makes it special. They were careful to restore the place's unique 18th and 19th century details, hoping to retain its storied past. But despite efforts to preserve the building's history, its ghosts have been quiet in recent years. The spirits of the old carriage house aren't as active, and sightings not as common. Maybe this is because we've entered an age of distraction. When we're constantly glued to screens, we're less likely to look up at mysterious footsteps or notice that peculiar shadow passing by. Or maybe it's because the spirits of one if by land, two if by sea have finally departed, which means they've gotten whatever answers they were looking for. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Matten, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Kate Murdoch. With writing assistance by Alex Garland. Fact-checking by Amber Hurley. And research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Greg Polson. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.